Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Bichette. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for almost 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because... It tends to promote comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, I would appreciate if you would do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. If you do that, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number and I'll announce you by your area code and turn on the microphone. 
in lieu of that, you are welcome to send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. So let us know. How are these things landing for you? What might be of benefit for you for us to choose as a topic for one of our shows or a series of shows? And... Um, we appreciate when people let us know that because, as I said, it just makes it easier for us to to be of service. And that's the whole point of all the time, intelligence, money, and energy that Michael and Jeannie spend on their website and on this Internet show and on their online offerings to be of service. So we had our support group last night and we listened to the Michael Singer lectures that he's been doing about his, or he has done about his book titled The Untethered Soul. And um, he has, I guess, about 12 hours of lecture on that to really dive deep into what is the process for understanding our mind as this energy field, understanding our thoughts and emotions, understanding our heart energy field, and how they all interact with the flow of life energy and our life experiences and our thoughts and our emotions and our things that we crave and desire and things that we dislike and try to push away and how that all fits together in a very understandable system that creates all of the stuff in life that we say we don't like and we don't want. So um, that's what we did with our support group last night. We have support groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. And um, that's just another resource. You can find out about that on the website, mindshiftersacademy.org. So, somebody say that yesterday's show where we had a caller named Joe who was asking about uh, relating to somebody, you know, he's... somebody he likes, somebody he cares about, who keeps telling him that Joe isn't doing it right. And the comment I heard from a couple different people was that that was very useful to go back to basics and to um, have that review. So consider it uh, a favor to yourself and to anybody else whenever you call with a question, because even if it's just a rehashing of the most fundamental principles in this work, it benefits us all. So, that's the beginning of my offerings for today. 
We have plenty of time for comments or questions, answers or testimonials. Again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, I'll turn on the microphone and we can have a conversation. I um, I've had several of my patients lately who are benefiting from understanding the work of internal family systems and there's no magic in this it's just that it's there's a way to conceptualize um, what I experience and if it's if it helps you conceptualize it differently so that you feel like you can do your own inner work differently, then a model like the internal family systems can be a wonderful uh, supplement to the reality management worksheets and the EFT tapping and the mind shifter targeted journaling that the targeted journaling tool that Michael Rice calls the mind shifter. And an example of that is in uh, someone I was working with recently who said that she was getting um, insulting comments from an ex, and she felt herself shrinking. She felt herself going to the feeling of being small and powerless. And that's a wonderful indication that one of her parts is getting activated. It's not her true self. It's not her core it's not her creativity or connectedness, her calm, compassion itself. It's a, a younger, wounded part of her that's just gotten activated within her awareness. And if she understands that, she can have a dialogue with. She can do a worksheet from the perspective of the younger, smaller, scared part of herself. She can do the mind shifter targeted journaling from that perspective and it's just a really useful way to for a lot of people when they when it resonates for them to conceptualize what they're creating in their own internal experience and they may be creating it from childhood memories and traumas and they may be creating it from belief systems and it isn't all that's in there, and it's not their true self, and they can really work with it sometimes far more easily once they conceptualize it as a part. And that part's work is what is referred to as internal family systems. And um, Dick Schwartz has a number of different books. One of them is called introduction to internal family systems i think there's also an internal family systems book with without the word introduction in the title and um, there's also a book titled no bad parts and um there's also i think his most recent book is you are the one you've been waiting for And so if you're looking for a way to uh, let's say gain a foothold, uh, conceptualize of 
how to work with the intense negative energies that can come up in us from time to time, his set of books might be useful. I have a number of people that have benefited already from the uh, the book, you know, Introduction to Internal Family Systems and You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. So, 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. It is uh, it's fascinating to work with people and have them come to terms with the various parts of them that can get stirred up, resonated, based on the interpretations that they're choosing and placing on their life events or their interactions with others. And it's, it's so powerful because we can be a fully competent adult who would be labeled as you know quite successful in, in our cultural terms. We can be making a living. We can be what Guy Finley would call a good householder and still have moments where we get triggered to feeling intense negative emotions and drawing conclusions about how we don't know what to do or how to do it and... We're feeling lost and stuck and and this happens on such a regular basis in my practice with truly high functioning people that it's very instructive and it's it's a good thing to be able to recognize this isn't happening to me because I'm damaged or defective. This is just a part of the energy in my system that's getting resonated into activity. And it's perfectly okay for me to turn and face it head on. Breathe and soften. And as Michael Singer was trying to coach us into last night in the talk he was giving, just soften and relax into whatever negative emotional state we might experience. There's nothing for me to do about it except observe it and soften any resistance to it. Of course, this is not something that would be um, recommended from any kind of a Western teaching where we are constantly told to be doing something differently and figure it out and plan a course of action, and get off our duff, and I, I just, I have to chuckle. There's so many people that, and, and some of them will even quote scriptures that say, you know, fear not, fear not, fear not, and yet 
the next day or week or month or year later, they're running around saying, we better get off our asses, we better get this done now, we can't wait, and this is the time, and you know, the sky is falling, etc. And we all do that. We all get triggered to have these strong emotions, and then we start saying and doing things when we're not even necessarily aware of how antithetical these things are to what we profess to believe. So consistency, I think, is far more beneficial. I've personally observed that I get a lot more. I My personal growth um, benefits by leaps and bounds the more I identify where I'm being inconsistent in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, and I work to dismantle whatever energies within me might be motivating me to be inconsistent. I think I've mentioned this before, that Krishnamurti and his writings were just so striking to me because once he has an observation that thoughts are unproductive, he, in all of my listening to his lectures and right reading of his books and many times over some of them, I, I don't ever see evidence that he goes back against it. He's not, there's not a special case. So, if, for instance, if you say to somebody, you know, killing is bad, killing somebody is bad, and, and you can observe that. Here's, here's the, the ripple effect, and here's the negative consequences, or the consequences that I would not prefer, et cetera. And then, a little bit further down the line, we justify killing because of this or that. Well, I don't think you'll ever find that in Krishnamurti's work. So when he says, question everything, dismantle your thought structures and your labels, see behind them, see the truth of it underneath all of that, I don't think you'll ever discover in Krishnamurti's writings or teachings where he then says, but here it's good to have your thought structure. Here, believe this. So the more rigorous I can be within myself to look for, experience, and question the true nature of any inconsistencies that arise within me, the more I do that, the better my work goes, the better my life experience unfolds to, to, to something that I prefer. I am... Um, I appreciate um, the people who've called in the past week, uh, some of the shows that we've done, uh, some of the dialogues I think have been extraordinarily useful. Susan? Hey. Welcome. Thanks. Um, well, I don't know what it is about your brain that puts out exactly what's happening over here. In my life, and I, I have to think that maybe it's true for everybody, and everybody is resonating like mad with what you're saying. But I have 
I'm trying to put it in the language you suggested. I, I don't want to say, or I should not say, I am badly triggered. I should say, I have chosen to react very negatively to something that just happened with an old friend. And I haven't even done a worksheet on it. I've just been fussing. And I've been actually doing quite a few worksheets on the other issue that I've been talking about, and that's bearing tremendous fruit. And then all of a sudden this clinker comes right in. Is it okay if I do a worksheet right on the radio show? Sure. Is there any other hand up? Because I know I'm a radio. No, call. I would tell you if there were. No. Okay. So, so what, how can we support you? One of my most beloved friends in New Haven, where I used to live, um, a writer who's pretty well known, so I won't use her name, um, and I were friends when we first started having our children. And we would go for walks with our infants to the park, and we would discuss how hard it was for us to do um, me composing and her doing our, her writing, to find time to run a house and all that stuff and still be faithful to our work. And she was writing poetry, and then she started writing short stories, and then finally she began writing novels. And she's published many, and she's been reviewed all over the place, and she's been very successful. And one day, before all this publishing happened, she wrote a poem. She didn't even really know she was a serious writer. She just knew she loved to do it. She wrote me, uh, she, she wrote a poem and showed it to me, and I said, send this to the New Yorker. This is the kind of thing they would take. And she said, oh, for God's sakes. And I said, just send it. And she did, and they took it. And she was flying so high. She was so happy. And then she wrote more poetry, and they kept taking her poems. And then she started writing short stories, and they were good. And I said, these are good. Send them in. And she did. She was reluctant at first, but it was tremendous success. They've taken probably how many? 15 of her stories. I don't know how many now. And at one point her husband got out of work and he was out of work and was living at home and she called me and she said I can't work here at home and I said well I have an attic and it could be an artist colony over here because I'm not going to bother you. I'm practicing the piano. I'm writing music and I won't bother you. You can come into our attic. We'll set it up. And she did. And for months, she would come every afternoon and work by herself quietly. And I was in love with this woman. I just adored her. And I loved that she was in my house and that I had been instrumental in her, you know, success as a writer. And I was happily writing too. And to me, I thought it was a very important friendship to her. She has just published, or she's about to publish, a book about her experience with failing eyesight, which is ca- catastrophic for her because she's a professor. She is constantly reading students' work uh, and teaching and writing, and she now has a whole, she has macular degeneration in both eyes. She's written a book 
and it's ready to go to publishing. Been through many drafts. And I used to read all her stuff and make comments and suggest things, and she used those comments. It was just such a wonderful connection. So she's written this book about how she her life started. It's very edgy and funny about her childhood. Then she writes about her young adulthood. You can see where I'm going about this. I am not mentioned in that book all of the section of the part where she was getting involved with The New Yorker. She talks about three other well-known artists, writers, who are published and she talks about her friendship with them Throughout the book, I am not mentioned. And I feel hurt as hell about it. And we haven't been in great touch because I don't push. And I just thought it was because that's the way she is. But I realized I was not as much on her radar as she was on mine. And I've composed letters in my head. And I did send her an email and before I had read very much. I said, do you remember those times when we did this and we did that? And and then I find that it's not mentioned in her book. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? Because she asked me not to comment about her book because it's ready, finished. And meanwhile, I was saying, gee, you know, those early memories, don't you remember this and that? And she hasn't answered my email. And I thought, oh, my God, how is she going to answer me? Because she may feel terrible, too, that she didn't that I'm in the chopped liver department in her mind, and I just didn't figure into this, into her memory bank. So I'm sitting here, you know, feeling like um, it's like I'm unrequited love or terrible rebuke or whatever, but I'm, I'm literally shaking with hurt. And, I, you know, my usual wanting to strangle somebody, I'd like to march into her house and say, what the hell? Okay. That's the scenario. Okay, so take a breath or five. Okay. And slow the exhale down and just let some of this energy move through you. Okay. And and let's begin at the beginning where we correct your speech, right? We use your regulatory speech in the proper way. We say, Oh, there's a part of your mind that believes you're upset about this outside event. Mm-hmm. A big part. A, a part of your mind that thinks that something outside of you is causing this emotion, etc. So just take a breath and begin with restating that. Right? And how might you restate okay. it more accurately? Well, you might restate it more accurately by saying, wow, I am throwing an interpretation on this that means something very painful for me. Yeah, and that's, all, that's all you have to do. You don't have to discover what it is right now. And but now we've we've corrected. Instead of continuing to train your mind to think someone outside of you has hurt you, and that you're hurt about this omission in this book, etc. Mm-hmm. As soon as I said that the word omission, you know, I flashed on uh, a number of years ago on this internet show, Michelle. Pache called in, and she had generated all kinds of upset because she'd been omitted from an obituary from, you know, one of her 
ex-husband's family members or whatever. Uh-huh. Right? You remember that? I do remember that, actually. Vague. Yeah. Okay. So, so it... So it it the the only relevance here is that that's just what got resonated when you said this you know when I said the word omission so right. so mm-hmm. this is the truth that each one of us can observe every day for every time we get upset, just like the the course in miracles would say, I'm never upset for the reason I think I am. Mm-hmm. And so I don't need to uncover why I'm upset right now, but I can use my regulatory speech to good, to good effect by instead of saying I'm upset about this, I can make a correction in my thought and my statement and say I'm generating quite a bit of upset because of what I'm making yep. this mean. Yeah, okay. And I can just think that thought and make that statement to good effect right now. So that's a good beginning, right? Dismantle mm-hmm. some of that negative programming in my mind that defines me as a victim here. Yeah. Okay. And then we can start working yeah. with a worksheet. Okay. Do you have one in well, front I've of you? I've got one in front of me. I've got the five-step rice wake-up sheet with Dr. Timothy Hayes' detailed processing in front of me. The five-step Dr. Rice one? That's what it says on the top of this page. I have so many versions. If you suggest another one, I can print it. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm fine with whatever one you want to do. I just want to, I wanted to be able to have a copy of it in front of me so I know what you're working with. But so start reading at the top. What have you got on your five-step worksheet? My feeling hurt. Breathe. My upset level, nine. My lack of peace, well-being, love is caused by the thoughts I have about blank. I won't name her. I'll call her Sally. Okay. (laughs) I can think of another name. Okay. Uh, And then the reason is it's because I don't figure into her memories in this book at all. Number two, since my reality comes from my own mind, it is my responsibility. I ask that love be restored to my mind, breathe, to collapse my reality. I locate and cancel my need for my trigger to not be true for this situation, I should say, in this case. I cancel, I locate and cancel my need for this situation to not be true. Well, I I want it to be true, so I haven't located it enough to cancel it. Okay. I cancel my need for this not to be true. I cancel my need for this to be true that she put me in her book. I want to be right. I want others to admit they are wrong. That is true. I want her to say, oh, my God. You know, I wanted to the reason and give me the reason that she really likes being associated with famous people, and I wasn't a famous person, which is a pretty okay, so sorry statement. I'm, but anyway, I, hey. I would like to get centered. So, did you download this from the whyagain. dot org website? No, I don't think I'll. I think this is a composite that I use. 
with my clients. Um, do you want me to take – the trouble is it's got a lot of typing in it that I didn't – I wonder if I have it on my computer. Do you want me to send it to you? Well, either that or let's jump over to do the seven-step worksheet that, okay. <laughs> that, that he has that anybody else could follow along with if they download it from the whyagain.org website. Okay. Are, are you willing to do that? I'm willing to do that. Yeah, this is. The... I, I think I think that will I think that will help me um, be able to guide you because right now I don't know what you might be reading from that worksheet or what you're spinning off about, and so okay. this this worksheet that I have that's labeled you know um, 2017 version three from Dr. Michael Rice's website. It is the seven-step worksheet. And it says, this premise of this worksheet is that my true nature, my human life, my very being is the energy of love. And the goal of this worksheet is to restore me to my awareness of that 24-7-365 by helping me remove any hostility or fear-based beliefs and thoughts and energies. So I, Susan, who am love, I'm experiencing What's the emotion you're going to choose for this worksheet? Hurt and anger. And I know I'm supposed to have only one. Which one do you think is uppermost? Maybe I'm mad. I'm mad. Okay. So, so, well, you know, we can adjust it if we need to. By the time we get done with this, we'll have a thought that's going to resonate. Okay. So... um, the thought will help us decide if this worksheet is about anger or hurt. Okay. And well, so I have a worksheet in front of me that's love. a lot like the one you just mentioned. I think it's close enough. It's seven steps. The words are sometimes a little different, so we can use it, I guess. Okay. So how, what, what's your level of upset beginning this worksheet? Nine. All right. And... The, the worksheet just says, listen, hostility and fear come from corrupt data and indicate my mind's use of sustained incoherence to build this disturbing internal construct. And my denial yeah. causes my brain, the, the, the carbon-based memory in my head, to hide from me my, my true direct experience of myself as love and tells me the lie that my emotions are caused by Sally. And, okay. and, you know, here you just put Sally, you know, failed yeah. to mention me in her book. Yeah. You don't need any more than that. Just failed to mention me. Yeah. And then you want to breathe and soften and figure out what word you're using to create an emotion. I'm, I mean, that word, what thought? So what's the thought that keeps running in your head that's generating either this anger or or, there you go. So the thought I'm using to create this hurt is I don't mean anything to her. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm using the the emotion hurt for this worksheet because of the thought you chose, right? Okay, yeah. That's good. Because if you sit with this thought, 
I don't mean anything to her, you're probably going to generate more of an emotion of hurt than anger. Okay. Yeah. So breathe into that and let that emotion of hurt get a little stronger as you think over and over again. I don't mean anything to her. I I made her very important in my life. I thought we had this wonder. I loved having her in my house. I loved the thought that I was contributing to her growing as an artist, etc. And I don't mean anything to her. Right. You're doing a good job, Dr. Tim. All true. Repeating your words to you, right? So then you breathe and soften and let that get a little stronger, that emotional hurt, and then you identify what punishment thoughts you have. Well, the first one is you want to tell her, right? Because you've already sent an email. Yeah. What on top of telling her? What do you want to do? Well, the the first part is it may not be a punishment. I want to have a tantrum in front of her. I want to scream like Rumpelstiltskin and jump up and down and scream and yell and cry and kick and like a kid have a tantrum. I want to show her that this means a lot to me. Just, well, that, that (laughs) leave it with the tantrum. (laughs) Okay. Scream and yell and tantrum. Okay. Is there a separate punishment thought for you that you want to note for this worksheet? Yeah. Um, it's my default, pun- punch her in the nose. That's, wait, that's been wait. A punishment thought for you. Oh, okay, I'm still punishing her. Okay. Punishment thought for me. Oh, just to believe she's right. Okay. I am chopped. Believe she's with. right. All right. I'm. Uh, I'm not worthy. Mhm. Okay. Good. So now we've got the punishment thoughts, and I'm not worthy. Punishment thought for you. And then this worksheet says, okay. Let's remember. If I'm in pain, my thinking is in error. And breathe and soften into that. And then remind myself that I'm going to choose to love, to to honor truth, right? I'm going to choose to honor truth above any of these negative emotions. Okay. And I'm going to willingly oh. face and process out all of the dis-ease producing energies for and from all of my relations and the generations. I'm going to be willing to feel even more upset as this stuff moves through me. And I'm going to willingly go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing and just breathe and soften through that. And then just listen along to me, with me, and, and as we say, I release and surrender myself, my emotion of hurt, Sally, my story that she's failed to mention me in her book, my thought that I mean nothing to her, and my punishment thoughts of throwing a tantrum and screaming and punching her in the nose and believing that I'm not worthy. I'm going to surrender all of that to the energy of love. 
And then I'm going to create this goal. What's the desire? What, what's a constructive, exact goal that drives this pain perception? What is it that if this would happen, magically we could wave a wand and make this happen? You wouldn't even have this worksheet to do. I'm having a lot of trouble, uh, you know, agreeing okay. to. Well, I can. You you can. You're having a lot of trouble with what? Agreeing to put truth in the forefront. I, I'm still Rumpelstiltskin having. Oh, a oh it doesn't. It, that doesn't matter. Okay. It's okay. You don't need a magical transformation here. You don't need your force <laughs> of will. Mm-hmm. Right now, okay. you're still upset, and this process is churning in you, and your yeah. your thought energy is focused on all of these negative things and beliefs. So it's that's still up. So right now, let's just map out what's this magical pie in the sky goal that if it w- we could wave a wand and make it happen, would make it completely unnecessary to even be doing a worksheet, and and it okay. would be something that's right in line with your thought that I mm-hmm. don't mean anything to her. Yeah. yeah. Right? She would say... You want, but you, you want her to value you yeah. the way you value her. Right. Totally. If, if that were to happen, would there be any need for this worksheet? No. But she's totally cooked her goose. I've already seen the evidence. Pardon me? <laughs> She's already cooked her goose. Okay, I've but this isn't about her. This isn't about her. Okay. Hey, take a breath. Yeah, keep reeling me in. Yeah, okay. And, and soften here because you're, you're still operating from that part of your mind that believes someone or something outside of you has caused your, your pain, your emotional yeah. hurt here. I certainly am. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so breathe and soften, and all right. And and if she could go back in time and yeah. be different and have acted mm-hmm. differently, what would that look like? It might look something like she would value me as much as I value her. Yeah. If that were to happen, would that satisfy this worksheet? Would you have emotional hurt? Would you, you know, because she would have either not mentioned anybody and then it could have been, you know, you could say, oh, I was, she could tell you privately that thank you so much. and Or she would specifically mention you in her book because she values you the way you value her. Mm-hmm. If that had happened, you wouldn't want to be screaming and yelling and punching her in the nose, and you wouldn't have the thoughts, I'm not worthy. Right. All true. So you might want to say for this goal that she's acting as though she values me as much as I value her. That's a good goal. 
I'm writing that down. Okay. And breathe and soften and put a check mark in that box. Mm-hmm. And then in the right-hand column it says, listen, if I'm the one with the pain, if they're the one with the pain, and bless me, if they are the one with the problem, why am I the one with the pain, right? Right. And right. I breathe into that and I think, okay, there's something, there's a, there's a logical disconnect here. And then I read this release that says, I cancel my need to be right and make up another story out of these brain cells to hallucinate mm-hmm. proof that my fear and hostility-based story and my reality is true. And I breathe and soften. And then I move to number four in this worksheet process. It says, I choose love, which is my essence. And when I do that, it stirs the love in everyone involved. And here's the mm-hmm. first time where we ask people to put their hand over their heart space, put their pens down, close their eyes and breathe and soften and mm-hmm. bring into their energy field an active memory and all the emotions that go with it of one of the happiest, safest, most loving, most connected times in their life. And just shift away from all of the upset in this worksheet shift over to some thoughts of a time in your life where you felt solid and joyful and happy and safe and contented and breathe and soften bringing up those images until you feel a shift in your heart space and as soon as you have just a little shift in your heart space let me know and we'll move on to step five Keep the breath moving. Bring up a memory. Strengthen it until you feel your energy shift. Well, I've got a good memory. And it's fighting with the one I'm fighting against. Okay, but if you brought up that memory and you got even a little shift in your energy, that's enough. You, you know, this is a okay. possibility. And let's move right. on to number five, where it says, when I'm upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data and it's driven by my goal. And number three, it's a limiting picture constructed from a mm-hmm. tiny little bit of information when there's 10,000 brain cells firing. So by canceling my goal and my replicate mind's reality, it collapses and it gives me direct contact with the part of my brain that's hidden from me right now. The part that projects and blames others for its content. So while I hold that loving energy, conscious, active, and present, I now choose to collapse my mind's lies by willingly canceling my goal for Sally to act as though she values me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And put that in there. and breathe and soften. And then we want to invite something outside your conscious logical mind to assist you in there. Who do you want to invite? God. You're going to invite God to incline you toward healing and breathe and soften into that. 
Invite mm-hmm. God to restore you to your awareness of your newborn essence as love. Mm-hmm. Invite God to heal your denial and heal your capacity to generate this emotion of hurt. And ask God to help you open a direct, conscious relationship with and gently remove any denied, dissociated, and projected parts of your carbon-based memory. And then we want you to just breathe and soften. I recommend that people close their eyes and or put their hand over their heart space. And just silently inside your own mind, repeat what I will recite. I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. I specifically cancel my goal in this worksheet process. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf for now, and I ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset, this hurt. And then I just want to breathe and soften and put myself in the most open, allowing space I can and trust that anything that comes into my mind is going to be part of what I need to see to begin to heal here and move forward. Just breathe and soften and gently repeat. I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. I specifically cancel my goal in this worksheet. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf for now, and I ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset. And just trust that anything that comes into your mind, a trip to the grocery store last week, something that happened when you were five years old, something that happened when you were 35, it doesn't matter, but breathe and soften and trust that anything that bubbles up is perfectly safe for you to see. It's all old stuff. It can't hurt you any more than it already has. And that knowledge can allow you to stay wide open and study it up close as it washes over you. And if a memory of an earlier time comes up, just remember, let yourself see how old were you, where were you, who else was there, and what was happening. And breathe and soften and allow these things to bubble up and stay with it, breathing and softening, until one of three things happens. Either you get an insight or a flash, or you feel a shift in energy, even if there's no insight associated with it, or you realize that it's just going to spin and go nowhere. And when one of those three things happens, take a nice, deep, cleansing breath. Slow the exhale and let it all go. And then scan your body and your mind and notice what's the strongest emotion and or physical sensation you're aware of now. Okay, I'm getting super. Um, I'm in seventh grade. I'm at a camp for all girls. It's like kind of a Girl Scout type of camp on a river, on a lake. And I had a crush on a counselor. And I really wanted her to like me. And she didn't 
particularly pay much attention to me, but it's the same sort of thing. So this okay. isn't a happy memory, but it okay. comes up. All right. And then what's the other one? I had a friend in New Haven. In fact, it's a friendship that formed just before, well, about two years or three years before Tim and I moved down here. She took a real shine to me, married woman with kids. And I could tell that she felt about me the way I felt about Alice. And about this counselor, she had a huge crush on me. And I had no, I liked her, but she wanted my attention and came to the house unannounced every day with her kids. And I knew what she was feeling. And I didn't know how to tell her that I didn't feel that way, that I cared about her and I cared about her enough to not want to hurt her in any way. So what did Tim and I do? One of the reasons, this is wild, one of the reasons Tim and I moved here, One of the, we had a lot of reasons, good reasons, but one of them was, my first thought was, we can move away and I don't have to tell her that I don't want her to drop in and unannounced every single day. I don't want to tell her that I don't feel the way she does. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to hurt her that much. We're still really good friends, and she has settled down, and we've visited each other, and we talk on the phone, and it's a good friendship. But I was her Sally. Okay, so take a breath. Okay. Take a breath and soften. And what emotion are you aware of right now? Sad. All right. Sad. This is a sad. Okay. And when we're done with this worksheet, I would encourage you to do some more writing about the aspects of the counselor you had a crush on in camp and this adult friend who had a crush on you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and then 6C gets easier to answer now because of what you just revealed and that emotion that comes up. I asked to be shown the time when I have not valued someone the way they have valued me. Yeah. That's it. And I had no say in the matter. No conscious ability to change right. how I felt. And, and 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 this is this is resonating so deeply because of your own personal insecurities, your own personal lack of confidence. Mhm. Yeah. And then breathe often. Okay. And then it says, I commit to, to, to love and to living a human life. And so in order to do that, I'm going to do a mass canceling of all the times I've wanted somebody to act as though they value me 
as much as I value them. Breathe and soften. And you might have people pop into your mind like your mom. Breathe and soften. You might have people like your dad or people like Sally in the camp. Just breathe and soften and say, I commit to love, to living a human life. And to help achieve this, I do a mass canceling of all the times I've wanted somebody to act as though they value me as much as I value them. Oh, that's so good. Mm. And then number seven says, the principle of the universe is that by giving, I first get the original. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to heal, and I'm going to choose truth, and I'm going to choose perfect love. And based on this goal I was holding for this person today to act as though she values me as much as I value her, I'm going to do something. I'm going to structure a truly loving goal. What loving goal that's time-limited that you can know in a day or two if you've accomplished it or that you can cancel it so you're not carrying around unmanageable stress? What goal would you like to put here to wrap up this worksheet? I don't know, Doctor Tim, and I don't. I know it's okay. at the end of the hour, but I'll. I, w- I would. Find I one. would say. Uh, let, let me suggest for you that based okay. on this rush of sadness and the tears you were holding back, or not so much holding back, when we got to number six. Yeah. A very useful loving goal would be to do an EFT breath a tapping session or a breath session, and or a worksheet around that sadness that came up. Okay. So it isn't a loving goal towards Sally. It is, because we're all connected. Okay. Okay. And you can't you can't extend your true nature of love towards her when you think about her unless you dismantle these things like the sadness and the hurt and the anger. So I'm going to recommend an EFT tapping session and a worksheet on the sadness. Okay. Thank you. And then if you take a breath now and scan your body and notice what you would call your upset level now, what would you call it? No, it's much less, but I do feel the sadness. But it's such a relief to feel that rather than the other. Okay, and so the hurt is down considerably from a nine to a what? Oh, three or four. Okay, and the sadness would be rated at what? Oh, I don't know. Eight. Okay, so... If I were doing this worksheet, I'd put a check mark in the box that says that was a successful worksheet for me. Yeah. And, okay. and part of the success is, even though I'm not, you know, skipping down the 
the rose path at the end of it, right, I have a sadness at a level of 8 out of 10, it's a different emotion than I began with, and the negative emotion of hurt that I began with went from a 9 to a 3, and so mm-hmm. I've got more to work with. I can see ways in which this is all an inside job. I can. And all That's of those true. things would contribute to me calling it a, a, a successful worksheet. That's true. It is an inside job. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Kim. You're entirely welcome and deserving. I'll go ahead and mute you so you can listen in. It will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Chan. That was an awesome worksheet. Thank you, Susan. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Susan. Have a wonderful show. Blessings. Thanks. And have a good weekend. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Friday, July the 7th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581 and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions. Pause that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here with us to carry this conversation to the next level. And... The last couple of days, we've had a really awesome conversation with Susan about uh, uh, the shift her physiology had taken when some things were triggered into activity. And once she realized it was a healing crisis and moved in the direction of doing the work she needed to do, I mean, there was just a a monumental recovery physiologically, uh, along with psychologically, emotionally, mentally, insight, and... uh, It's just a wonderful conversation, and it seems appropriate. I'll check with Jeannie first, but do we have anybody with a phone up, a hand up in the phone queue, or uh, anything happening in the chat room, sweetie? Um, No. uh, Susan had just went through a worksheet with Dr. Tim, but there's no other. Oh, sweet. Okay. All right. Well, I want to review in the context of that conversation to solidify the whole idea of the symptoms of healing. One of the things that happens in a healing crisis, and in naturopathic medicine, that's what this healing process is called, and a lot of people object to using the word crisis, but in fact, if one doesn't realize that things are happening on a crisis level, they can sort of gloss over it and you know, pretend it's not there. So acknowledging the truth of this energy system is processing through <clears throat> pardon me, something from the past that has perhaps been holding on to for a long time. And it can create crisis in relationships. It can create crisis in mental health, in emotional health, and in physical health. So it's important to understand and be able to move through those energetic symptoms, through the things that keep the energy moving. You know, the whole foundation of understanding a healing crisis and understanding the, what we call the body in the world to begin with starts with Albert Einstein. 
and what Albert says. Two thousand years ago, there was a gentleman who said in Aramaic, "Don't judge by appearances." And Albert Einstein says, "If you think, I mean, Albert Einstein talks about the idea that the world is energy. He says, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. So we do not have a material world. We do not live in a material world. Yes, the mind with its limited faculties makes the world look physical. But let's use an analogy to understand how that happens. Let's imagine we take somebody from the jungle somewhere who's never seen anything more complex than a dugout canoe. You know, a, a tribal region where, you know, they would cut down a tree, hollow it out, paddle away in their dugout canoe. Most complex machine that this person has ever seen. And we bring them to the airport and have them stand on the tarmac and observe our prop plane that has already been started. They look at the plane and we ask them what it is that they see. We explain what the wings are and we ask them what it is they see on the front of the wings. And the, uh, the person from the, uh, the jungle says, well, obviously that's a shiny silver disc. You know, the sun's coming in at the right angle and the spinning propeller looks like something it is not. The mind, not being able to keep up with the rate of spin of the propeller, does not show you four arms spinning around a pivot point. With the rate of speed of its rotation, the mind shows us something that appears to be solid but in no way, shape, or form is solid. And it becomes really important to not judge by that appearance in the mind because, you know, let's imagine this guy is going to check out. He wants to know what the friction is going to feel like on his fingertips when he touches this shiny silver disc. He's going to have a really serious problem. In the same way, if you don't understand the energy moving in your own form, be it physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, business, whatever arena it's in, if you don't understand the truth about the energy that's moving, then your mind's going to make things up. And if you go into behaviors based on something that's made up that is a fantasy, we'd say to the man who sees the shiny silver disc, sir, you're living in a fantasy world. There's no shiny silver disc there. Don't touch it. <laughs> It'll kill you. People die because they live in fantasy worlds and they touch things that don't exist. That is, they live out of things. They create out of things that are fantasies. Some fantasies are useful. You know, we have a fantasy that we call sunrise. We've known for hundreds of years that the sun doesn't rise. But notice, you know, you can turn on your TV, you can go to virtually every, at least every uh, weather app that I know of, and it doesn't say the time that the earth will rotate into the view of the sun. It says sunrise, like the sun's moving and rising. That's a fantasy doesn't hurt anybody. It's, you know, there may be some implications. I don't know. I haven't really thought that one through, but, but that fantasy works. But when we live in a world of fantasies that don't work, like the guy who decides he wants to feel the friction on his fingertips, 
with the shiny silver disc, that fiction is going to kill him. And oftentimes, because the mind has hidden the disintegrative energies that it does not want to deal with for decades, and in some cases, generations, learning the truth about the fantasies in our minds can be a major challenge. And to bring the underlying truth of events that happen forward to awareness can be something that is so blocked out of the mind that it's impossible to conceive of for some people. Remember back about, oh, probably 15 years ago, maybe a little more than that, we had a woman who um, was an executive in Las Vegas in a um, casino. And she came to an intensive. In the first three days of an intensive, we do a, uh, a, a modified eating program where we do smoothies and juices to give the body a chance to load up on enzymes and to begin to detox itself. So we're doing that in the intensive. And this woman who'd been a, a high-level executive in Las Vegas, high-stress job, went into migraine headaches. And she sat in the classroom with a bucket in front of her. I mean, she was puking. And, I mean, migraines that went on for hours. And knowing what was going on, knowing this was a healing process, I don't know, Jeannie, do you remember how many times I said, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had these symptoms a before? Lot. I asked her over and over and over and over and over again. And after three days of that, she finally remembered. And get this. I mean, how do you forget something like this? She finally remembered that in one 10-year period of working as an executive in the gambling industry, it was so high stress that she had migraine headaches every day for 10 years. But she didn't remember that when she went into the healing crisis. Literally, the minute that she went, oh, God, I had migraines. My kids were small. I'm working in this hyper-stress job. I had migraines. Every... Guess what? If I remember correctly, I think that was a nine-day intensive. Where she never had one sign of a headache after that minute of allowing herself to become aware and process that energy. The whole idea of a healing crisis is a really important key, especially when you come into high-stress situations where the energy is really moving. So understanding what goes on in that process is really urgent. You'll remember that there's a step in the worksheet in step two that says, I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. There are three levels that are impacted when healing occurs. Now, real healing, treatment's a very popular thing. Because you can go get a pill, pop that pill, and oh boy, my symptoms have gone away. Do I feel better? Now I know I'm healed. The biggest lie that's ever been told. Because every drug is a disease disguised cure. If you don't believe me, 
open the drug package, and look at the insert. Now, they'll tell a little, little white lie. Actually, it's a big, red, purple, bruising lie that these drugs don't cause diseases. They cause side effects. But you read the list of side effects that go with every drug, and you'll notice it's a list of diseases that oftentimes are far more tragic than the symptoms that someone's trying to suppress with that drug. I'm not saying don't ever use a drug. It can save a life, no question. But it cannot heal anything. If you need treatment, please put healing beside it and do your healing work. You will then benefit from both. But if you only do treatment, I promise you, you'll go from you know, one drug to two to four to seven to ten. And you know, we did one intensive in Florida back a few years ago, and there was a young military man there. And when we started to talk about this idea of healing crisis and the impact of drugs, he got up, I mean, abruptly got up and walked out of the room and came back in with a Walmart-type plastic bag and just dumped it out on the table. I don't remember. It was 30-some-odd different drugs. Within about, and I'm not really remembering the time frame. This was a few years ago, but within a relatively short period of time, he was down to the point where he had one drug in his daily treatment program. So drugs are awesome at shutting down energy flow. One of the things they never tell you about is, you know, let's say there's an anomaly in the body and the body says, I need, you know, X number of grains of such and such a substance that the body produces. And pharmaceutical industry discovers that substance and says, well, we can make that and makes an artificial analog of it. Only the body says I need maybe eight grains of it and one's given a hundred milligram cap which is you know a thousand times greater than what the body is calling for and the energy is needed the substance the eight grains that the structure needs is needed let's say in this part of the brain it's calling for it so the body produces it and if there's a problem there then somebody comes along we'll give it a hundred milligrams well not only does that substance go into that part of the brain that was calling for that substance, their receptor sites for it, but oftentimes there are receptor sites throughout the whole body. So if there's a particular you know, substance manufactured artificially, it's called a drug, but it's actually a natural substance in the brain, when you hand the body 100 milligrams of that, a thousand times more than the body's calling for, there are receptor sites throughout the whole body. So that's why, let's say, you know, again, it's something that the brain needs. But there are also receptor sites in the eyes. And what happens is that drug, there's so much of it, goes to the eyes, lands on the receptor site, blocks the receptor site, and that there's no longer communication in the eyes. And all of a sudden this person says, oh, there are side effects to the eyes. The receptor sites in the lungs and that thing overloads and fills all the receptor sites in the lungs so they, the cells can no longer communicate. Communication pathways are interrupted. 
And all of a sudden, as a result of trying to fix this eight grains of a substance that was needed in the brain, we now find this person has a lung disorder, perhaps a life-threatening lung disorder. Oh, yes, and there were receptor sites in the lining of the stomach, and now there's stomach problems. And, oh, yes, there are also uh, receptor sites in the liver, so now this person has liver toxicity. You know, we got rid of that headache that was a result of missing that eight grains of what was happening in the brain. So understanding how that all works gives us the opportunity to start to move in the direction of becoming our own primary health care providers and understanding what we really need. And when that person drops that drug and starts to detox it, there's going to be quite a, um, quite a flare-up of symptoms. So it's not Dr. Feelgood to go through the healing process. And when an energy, when you think of the body as an energy system, when an energy goes in, there are symptoms. The, the energy reflects or expresses in the system, usually physically, mentally, and emotionally. So if we have a dis-ease energy, remember that relative to this integrated energy system we call the body-mind unit that is not physical but is energy, there are basically two qualities of energy. There's the energy that builds it up and enhances it, and there's the energy that tears it down and destroys it. The energy that tears it down and destroys it is called disintegrative energy. If you go back into the Aramaic language, the word that represents disintegrative energy relative to the human mind, body, emotion, and spirit, the word that represents that kind of energy is called sin. It's got nothing to do with the whole Greek guilt trip about sin. Sin in Aramaic is simply an archery term. If you were on the archery range and you fired at the target and the scorekeeper were to be calling out your score, he'd yell, sin, you're off the mark. You missed the target. So when they say things like the wages of sin is death, that's not a theological threat. God's going to get you for your sins. They're telling you how physiology works. The result of putting toxic energy anywhere in tissue that doesn't belong there, whether it's a drug or whatever it is, is the system starts to fall apart. And if we've gone through generations and generations of those who knew no better and we start to learn and reverse those behaviors, then there's going to become a there's going to be a building of vitality in the system, and the system's going to be able to start to throw off those toxic energies that never belong. So the symptoms of healing are precisely identical to the symptoms of the disease that's being healed. As the energetic pattern of the disease moves out of the human energy system. So on a physical level, healing looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, healing looks like any kind of negative thought you ever had and confusion. On an emotional level, it looks like any kind of negative feeling you've ever had and depression. That's how the healing process looks. And the main accelerator for that healing process is willingness. I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, 
and emotional symptoms of healing. Now, there are several things that will tell you when you're symptomatic that you are in a healing process. There are several questions to ask yourself to refine your understanding of what's going on in your own physiology. First question you ask yourself when you become symptomatic to determine whether you're in a disease process or a healing process is one, have I been doing more and more of the right things? Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, nutritionally, exercise. If I'm moving in the direction of doing more and more of the right things, then my structure is vitalizing and it's wanting to throw off what doesn't belong. So an answer of yes to that question points to the fact that you're in a healing process. Now that's the starting point. Next question you ask yourself is, just before these symptoms began, had you hit a new level of vitality? The body-mind unit has a built... There's an energy that is so toxic that its release could kill you. What the body will do is it's best to hide it away. That's what things like pimples and boils, tumors, are all the body trying to adapt to a toxic energy that's overloading the system. And so if, let's say, imagine we've got a vitality meter and it goes from 1 to 10 and you're at a level 5 vitality and you have a level 7 toxin in you, you can say, and then that toxin might be an emotional upset. You say, boy, I want to work through that emotional upset. And you're only at a level 5 vitality and it's a level 7 toxin. To release it might mean your death. Literally, the toxic release, if you don't have the vitality to handle the detox, could kill you. And so recognizing that, when you build up, you know, the person who's at that level 5 vitality starts to do more and more of the right things. You know, if people do an intensive with us, we do, or at least we offer them, a total fresh and raw food program instructions for how to shift the diet from what we call the SAD diet, standard American diet, which is deadly, the standard American diet that contains almost no food. It's really sad that we live in a culture that when you go into a restaurant, you have to ask the question, do you have any actual food, like things with nutrition in it? Oh, yeah, we've well, got this sandwich, and, and, and of course your sandwich is, is made with the whole grain so that all the nutrients are in the grain for the bread, right? Oh, oh, oh no, no, no. We, we have white bread. We, we have that stuff that builds strong bodies 12 ways. Really? Now, there's Madison Avenue lying to you. There are two really good uses for white bread. One, if you've got a loose tile, get it wet, put it behind the tile, it'll stick. That's what it does to the colon. It sticks, glue. Patients a major problem in our culture. It's amazing how many people can't move their bowels without some sort of assistance. Why is it? Because they eat nutrition-free food. The second good use for white bread is you get a little bit wet if you break a glass and can use it to pick up broken pieces of glass, but it has no place in the human body. It is a tragedy. It is a travesty. It is a poison. It is death in a cellophane wrapper. Now, you may think I'm sounding dramatic here. This is not dramatic. You look at the foundation of most people's dietary regimen in this culture, and it's white bread or white 
pasta, no nutrition. Basically what happened is the farmers discovered that if they were to take all of the nutrients out of the wheat, if you take that as one example, they could sell that, that nutrient base, a business where having nutrition is recognized as important. Like pig farming. So they sell it to the pig farmers. They steal the nutrition from the wheat. They sell it to the pig farmers and make a profit once, and then they hire Madison Avenue to tell you that the leftover waste will build strong bodies 12 ways, and people buy it, and it's so ubiquitous. It's like, you know, try going into a restaurant and find something that's actual whole grain. Even in many cases, health food stores, I say, yeah, we have brown bread. Well, you know what brown bread is? (laughs) There's very little nutritional difference between so-called brown bread and white bread, they just add a little molasses to give it some color. But if you want to be vital, you have to change the way you eat if you're eating the sad diet, the way you combine your foods. You have to really become aware of what serves this structure functioning properly. So as you start to do more and more of the right things, you become more vital. So if you ask yourself, just before these symptoms occurred, had I hit a new level of vitality? You know, like, did I go to bed last night just so excited and so delighted I had a major breakthrough in my life and life is so sweet, life is so good. And then the next morning, get up out of bed and you wonder if anybody got the number of the Mack truck that went through your room during the night. What happened? Well, you hit a level of vitality where the system said, okay, now what you need to do is lay down, breathe, drink water, eat eliminative foods, and let us clean the toxins out of your structure. So that's the second indicator that you're in the healing process. Yeah, I was at a new level of vitality just before this happened. Question you ask yourself is what's happening with my elimination? And we're talking about the output of all of the eliminative organs. We're talking about the lungs. We're talking about the skin. We're talking about the sinuses. We're talking about the urinary tract. We're talking about the bowel. Overall, if you're in a symptomatic state and you can say there's an increase in elimination, that's another indicator that you're likely in a healing process. The next question you ask yourself is, am I feeling dehydrated even though I'm drinking lots of water, dry mouth, dry eyes? If so, what happens is that mucus has two purposes in the human body. One is it's designed to be a thin, watery substance that lubricates. So it has that function. But also, if toxicity comes into the process, then that mucus thickens automatically to trap the toxicity and keep it out of the cell. So when you're empowered enough to heal, whatever that mucus has trapped, and maybe, you know, it trapped it in there 30 years ago. It might be in the bowel. Actually, it could be anywhere in the body. I remember working with a woman back, oh, just about 40 years ago, 
and we were doing a seven-day detox program. And in the morning, her body was perfectly normal. You know, if you looked at her, you'd say she's just her normal self. By noon, she literally looked like she was nine months pregnant. And by midnight, her body was back to normal again. Well, wait a minute. How does that happen, Michael? Well, think about it. Have you ever blown your nose in a Kleenex, gotten a good full Kleenex and set it down? You know, you weren't near a trash can. You went back to get it later, and there's almost nothing left in it. What happened? The mucus, the thickened mucus dehydrated. The moisture evaporated. You know, kind of like if you cook mushrooms in a, in a frying pan. You know, I start nice and boy, I got a really nice serving of mushrooms here. And five minutes later, it's like, well, what happened to all my mushrooms? Mushrooms are mostly water. They dehydrate in cooking. Well, mucus does the same thing. Toxicity is trapped, and there's no way. And now it begins to harden. It dries up, becomes thicker and thicker and thicker, and creates layers within the structure. And those layers can be anywhere. I've seen people who had mucus release in a a shoulder where the shoulder blew up like a balloon or like this woman, her belly did, or a foot or anywhere in the structure that there's trapped mucus when one becomes vital enough to access whatever's hidden in there, whether it's a physical toxin, whether it's a negative thought or negative emotion, whatever the energy is. When they're vital enough, the system will automatically start to open that. And to open it means to rehydrate it. It will take water to that part of the structure and liquefy the mucus again so that it can start flowing and be released. Well, what's going to happen if you, you know, imagine that big Kleenex that was full and then you dehydrate it and there was nothing there. What happens if you rehydrate it? It blows up. And that's exactly what happens in the body. So you can see, you know, parts of the body where the toxicity is stored and, and it rehydrates. And it doesn't matter how much water I drink, it seems I can't drink enough. So if you're still thirsty after drinking water and you're symptomatic, then you're probably in a healing process. Parts of the body will puff up as that mucus swells from taking in the water and rehydrating itself. And then it's going to have to drain out of the system. So that's where you're going to get the increased elimination. So you might look in the toilet and go, oh, my God, that's not just a bomb. I mean, it's full of mucus. That's the body releasing. Or you might have a lot of coughing and releasing a lot of mucus or sinuses or skin, you know, skin irritations, what look like pimples or boils. That's the body saying, The shortest route, the largest elimination organ in the body is the skin. And when some other organ of elimination isn't working properly, like if you eat the sad diet, your colon is a tragic mess. It's an interesting book you might want to read if this topic is of interest to you and you really have some work to do in this area. It's written by a chiropractor named Bernard Jensen. And the book is called Tissue Cleansing Through Bowel Management. There are pictures in the book of what has come out of people's colons. And I can say that doing one of the processes that's in the book is called the Kalima. That's what I used to guide people through. Doing the Kalima process, I've seen bowel movements that looked like a piece of black rubber tire, thick 
rubbery, almost impossible to cut, just like you'd see on the side of a road when a truck tire peels off. And the record for a colon in terms of weight is referred to in Jensen's book as a nine-inch diameter colon that weighed 65 pounds. That's 65 pounds of toxic waste in the colon. You'll notice that people tend to, as they eat the SAD diet longer and longer, they tend to get a little thicker around the middle. That's a colon loaded up with toxicity. It does take, in, in Jensen's book, he outlines this Kalima process that uses special herbs that will help to liquefy, will help to break down the hardened deposits in the colon. Again, thirst can be a sign that there's a healing process going on. Another one is that when the body says, I need to cleanse and detox what I've been carrying around, and that cleanse and detox can be physical, mental, emotional, Appetite disappears. I don't want to eat. If you don't want to eat, don't force yourself to eat. If your body's saying no food, what your body's saying is, I need all of the energy that I've got to do this house cleaning process. Taking in nutrition is a very poor way, a very inefficient way through the food to get energy into the structure. So when the appetite shuts down, that's the time to leave food alone, drink lots of foods, and if you're going to eat, or for me, drink, well, actually, I should say that, like quite literally, drink lots of foods. In order for the digestive system to work properly, the digestive system functions to digest liquids, not solids. When we would do the first three days of an intensive, we would tell people, so while you're here, here's your instruction for eating. You want to drink your food. You want to chew your smoothie or your juice. Many people just swallow and think, oh, well, that's all I need to do. No. Actually, digestion starts in the mouth. If you, if you consider different types of digestion that happen in the structure, each place where that happens as a stomach, you know, they talk about cows having multiple stomachs. That's why they can chew their cud and turn grass into food, into beef. Chewing breaks down, starts the digestive process. And in the human, again, if you consider different types of digestion, each place being a stomach, the first stomach is the human mouth. Tylen tags if food is chewed. Now, if you break something off and just swallow it, digestion never happens to that food. It never properly breaks down. It has to be tagged in the mouth with Thailand to tell the rest of the body what to do with it. So there's one stomach. Then there's a the first stage of digestion once the food goes through the esophagus and gets to the upper part of the stomach is that part of the stomach is alkaline. So it's an alkaline digestive process. Enzymes 
are active there, and if there are enzymes in the food being eaten, then as much as 70, perhaps maybe 80% of digestion happens in that first 15 to 20 minutes in the upper part of the stomach. That's the second stomach, second type of digestion. Then the food moves from there to the lower part of the stomach where acids are added and there's a breakdown that works differently than happened in the upper part of the stomach where enzymes were operating. So now we have third stomach. Then the food moves into the colon, into the small intestine and colon, and now you have a fourth and a fifth type of digestion. So humans have, in fact, five different stomachs. If the digestion doesn't start in the first one, it doesn't finish in the last one. And, you know, they say there's no thing that says you are what you eat. No, actually, that's not true. You are what you digest, what you metabolize. And that includes all levels of energy. If you metabolize rage and fear and hate and vengeance and terror and trauma, then your structure is going to reflect that energetic dynamic. So when the system wants to clean itself up, it takes away appetite and uses the energy in order to digest. And then when you step into the symptoms of healing, that healing crisis, as with that young woman who had the migraine headache for three days until she realized that she'd had migraine. I mean, she literally did not remember that she'd ever had a migraine. And it was a 10-day virtually daily occurrence for her. And that's how deeply we can block things out. So when you think back to a time when you had similar symptoms, you may be able to piece together exactly what's going on. And you know that's one of the trails that we followed with Susan and thank you again, Susan, for your willingness and your courage to go for it and to open things up, but to go back, right back into early childhood and the dynamics of what happened in a relationship there is, you know, to be able to take hold of that and to process that differently, to bring that forward in the presence of love is an important key in the healing process. And that's virtually ignored, and I think that's one of the reasons why we live in a country that spends at least 100% more than any other country in the world on disease care, and we have health outcomes that are at the bottom of the barrel of developed countries, literally. You know, I think there are 46 countries in, I'm not remembering what the grouping is, but there's a grouping of some 46 countries that are considered more advanced than the rest. And our health outcomes with what we spend on disease care are right down there, 44, 45, 46, the worst in the world. And so to recognize what we're doing and to be able to tap into those past energetic dynamics and move through them becomes an important part of the process. And those things oftentimes are, as Susan demonstrated in our conversation the last couple of days, are processed cognitively. But many times 
the awareness of what was going on is so suppressed, as with this woman I spoke about, there's no cognitive awareness. There's simply the processing of the energy. And then the final question that you ask yourself when you become symptomatic to determine whether you're in a disease process or a healing process is that there will likely be a craving for the drug that was used when the original energetic offense occurred to the system. So let's say someone's going through, you know, young person just growing into adulthood and goes through a, 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 a very emotional relationship breakup and turns to alcohol. Perhaps becomes a full-blown alcoholic in order to avoid their pain for decades. And one day recognizes the tragedy that alcohol is in their lives. It amazes me that alcohol is made available in this culture. We're so enlightened. Point of realizing that they've got to get rid of the alcohol because the pain that they're inflicting on themselves and the people around them is worse than the original disease was. And so dropping the alcohol becomes a necessity. And when an, a, a drug like alcohol is used to anesthetize against pain, when you get to breaking down the core of that pain, and it, if you look at the, the, let's say, taking alcohol for an example, the number of organs that it affects, it's related to cancer, it's a central nervous uh, system depressant. I mean, it's just, it's a tragedy in the human body, an absolute tragedy. You know, over 3 million people a year worldwide die of alcohol. Just the simple use of it. It's involved in, I don't remember all the numbers, something like 40% of rapes. If, you want to, if, you, if you're interested, I'll send you an article that I've written on that that goes through some of the statistics and some of the insanity of what happens with alcohol. And, and, it, and it's interesting that we live in a culture where most families keep that stuff in a special cabinet for their favorite friends and family when they come to visit, and they call it a celebration when they break that cabinet open. So... When the system starts to break down, let's say if it's the the, uh, the situation I was talking about with the colon, if the toxicity is stored in the colon and starts to break it down, there literally are perhaps actual molecules of the alcohol still stored and suppressed in there. And if not, at least the energetic signature of the alcohol is there. And so when, you know, maybe this person's quit drinking decades ago, and they go into a major healing crisis, and all of a sudden, there's a craving for alcohol. And they're like, what's going on? I quit that. And it makes, you know, I mean, we've all heard about the guy who's, you know, been sober for 30 years, and, and all of a sudden, after getting his 30-year chip, he falls off the wagon and goes out and gets a drunk. What happened? Well, Everybody was really excited for him, whole new level of vitality, getting that 30-year chip, the celebration, 
the vitality that took place, the opening that took place was phenomenal. And if he wasn't prepared to deal with what opened for healing, what the alcohol had been covering from decades ago, then when those the energetic signature of the molecules of alcohol that are bound up with what's been suppressed in the system break loose, there's that cravings back, that inclination toward, I need a drink. And that's when many alcoholics fall off the wagon, or drug addicts, or food addicts, or sex addicts, or whatever it is. So to, to remember that if your answers are on track and you go in a healing crisis, this is the time to make sure that you're to doing all the right things. That you don't compromise yourself. You recognize that you're in a healing process and you, you've been doing your work and moving there willingly and you want to make sure that you keep that energy moving. Elsewise, the tendency will be to fall off the wagon and to go right back in and act out whatever the issue is that's in the process of the system letting go of. And oftentimes, the energetic pattern behind that healing process will be something that's been going on in the bloodline for generations and generations. So keep doing the right things. Stay in willingness. So it's important to stay on track with that and to continue, you know, on a nutritional level, emotional level, et cetera, to do the things that keep that state of restructuring going. And and it does take a lot of energy, so it may lay you down. Probably one of the biggest pieces missing in our culture in healing is that people get the signal it's time to lay down and take care of themselves. But there's so many demands, so much push, 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 pressure, pressure, that people push themselves and don't give themselves the space for healing. And one of the most important, or I shouldn't say one of the most important key thing you want to make sure that you're doing is staying connected to active present love. That's the key element in the healing process. So that's a little bit of a reminder on what the healing process looks like. And I suspect that might stir a few thoughts or questions for folks. So Ms. Jeannie, is there anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? There is a hand up. So area code awesome. 813. 813, you're on the air. Hello, it's Bob. Doc, thanks for taking my call. Hey, how do you be, sir? Hanging in there. I'm calling from uh, Tom's River, New Jersey. I, I heard what you said about alcohol. I always thought sugar might even be worse than alcohol because there's sugar in alcohol. Turns but to you made alcohol. A statement. Yeah. Yes, Yoon's made a statement about um sexual assaults and, and alcohol, you said 40%? I, you know, I don't remember the numbers, but something in that range of sexual assaults okay. involve alcohol, yeah, sexual abuse. I, I've, I've got a buddy named Doug Hutton, and he said that usually those rapes are because chicks have really nice tits or maybe they're showing their okay, ass. Now, you can, okay, Jeannie, it's just cut it off. Yeah. I was suspecting I we might have been falling into someone who's in a tragic place of pain and wants to inflict their 
gross thought processes on others. So we'll hold the space for your healing and uh, and your misogynistic view of women is an atrocity and it's a projection. And I invite you to do your work and clean up your act. And we all need to clean up our act. So we'll hold the space, extending love in your direction, but uh, we don't need your abuse either on this show. Thank you. Uh, Surprised that someone with that kind of an attitude is even listening to the show. So, but who knows? Well, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that'll raise a hand in the control panel, and we know you'll want to say hello. How can we support you? What's on your mind? 563-999-3581. We've got about 10 minutes left, so time for a good conversation yet. Anyone with any thoughts out there? Do not have a hand up. Okay. Well, you want to do a little bit of reading from Michael's book? Okay. We are on Chapter 13 in Michael Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. And this one is titled, uh, Far, Far Beyond. Ultimately, the word beyond captures the true meaning of spirituality. In its most basic sense, going beyond means going past where you are. It means not staying in your current state. When you constantly go beyond yourself, there are no more limitations. There are no more boundaries. Limitations and boundaries only exist at the places where you stop going beyond. If you never stop, then you go beyond boundaries, beyond limitations, beyond the sense of a restricted self. Beyond is infinite in all directions. If you take a laser beam and aim it in any direction, it will go on for infinity. It would only cease to be infinite if you created an artificial boundary that it could not penetrate. Boundaries create the appearances of finiteness in infinite space. Things seem finite because your perception hits mental boundaries. In truth, everything is infinite. It is you who takes that which goes on forever and talks about a mile from here. What is a mile from here? It's nothing but a piece of infinity. There are no limits. There is just the infinite universe. To go beyond, you must keep going past the limits that you put on things. This requires changes at the core of your being. Right now, you are using your analytical mind to break the world up into individual thought objects. You are then using the same mind to put these discrete thoughts together in a defined relationship to each other. You do this in an attempt to feel a semblance of control. This is seen most clearly in your constant attempt to make the unknown known. You say to yourself, it wouldn't dare rain tomorrow, it's my day off. And since Jennifer loves being outdoors, she will certainly want to go hiking with me. In fact, if I want an extra day off, Tom wouldn't mind covering for me. 
After all, I covered for him once. You have it all figured out. You know how everything is supposed to be, even the future. Your views, opinions, your preferences, your concepts, your goals, and your beliefs are all ways of bringing the infinite universe down to the finite where you can feel a sense of control. Since the analytical mind cannot handle the infinite, you create an alternate reality of finite thoughts that can remain fixed within your mind. You have taken the whole, broken it into pieces, and selected a handful of those pieces to be put together in a certain way within your mind. This mental model has become your reality. You must now struggle day and night to make the world fit your model. And you label everything that doesn't fit as wrong, bad, or unfair. If anything happens that challenges how you view things, you fight, you defend, you rationalize. You get frustrated and angry over simple little things. This is the result of being unable to fit what's actually happening into your model of reality. If you want to go beyond your model, you have to take the risk of not believing in it. If your mental model is bothering you, it's because it doesn't incorporate reality. Your choice is to either resist reality or go beyond the limits of your model. In order to truly go beyond your model, you must first understand why you built it. The easiest way to understand this is to study what happens when the model doesn't work. Have you ever built your whole world on a model of life predicted upon another person's behavior or the permanence of a relationship? If so, have you ever had that foundation pulled out from under you? Somebody leaves you. Somebody dies. Something goes wrong. Something shakes your model to the core. When this happens, your entire view of who you believe you are, including your relationship to everyone and everything around you, begins to fall apart. You panic and do everything you can to hold it together. You beg, fight, and struggle to try to keep your world from collapsing. Once you've had an experience like that, and most people have, you realize that the model you've built is tenuous at best. The entire thing can fall apart. The whole model and all that it's built upon, including your entire view of yourself and everything else, can start to crumble. What you experience when this happens is one of the most important learning experiences of your life. You come face to face with what made you build the model. The level of discomfort and disorientation that you experience is frightening. You struggle just to get back some semblance of normal perception. What you are really doing is trying to pull the mental model back around you so that you can settle down into your familiar mental setting. But our whole world doesn't have to fall apart in order for us to see what we're doing in there. We are constantly trying to hold it all together. If you really want to see why you do things, then don't do them and see what happens. Let's say you're a smoker. If you decide to stop smoking, you quickly confront the urges that cause you to smoke. These urges are the reason you smoke. They are the outmost layer of cause. If you can sit through these urges, you will see what caused them. If you can get comfortable with what you see, then you will face the next layer of causation, and so on, layer upon layer. Likewise, there's a reason you overeat. There's a reason why you dress the way you do. 
There's a reason for everything you do. If you want to see why you care so much about what you wear and what your hair is like, then just don't do it one day. Wake up in the morning and go somewhere disheveled with your hair a mess and see what happens to the energies inside of you. See what happens to you when you don't do the things that make you comfortable. What you'll see is why you're doing them. You are constantly trying to stay within your comfort zone. You struggle to keep people, places, and things in a manner that supports your model. If they start to go any other way, you get uncomfortable. Your mind then becomes active, telling you how to get things back the way you need them to be. The moment somebody starts behaving in a way that is outside of your expectations, your mind starts talking. It says, what should I do about this? I just can't ignore what he did. I could confront him directly or ask someone else to talk to him. Your mind is telling you to fix it. And it doesn't really matter what you end up doing. It's all about getting back within your comfort zone. This zone is finite. All attempts to stay within it keep you finite. Going beyond always means letting go of the effort to keep things within your defined limits. And I'll stop there because we're down to two minutes on the show. Well, good point there. He's uh, What I hear him referring to is right back to Yeshua where he says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. This false self, this false model, never thought in terms of it being a model before, but that's pretty accurate. This accumulation of energetic patterns that come from trauma experiences and power person dynamics, generational patterns, tends to become deeply established in the perceptual system because of all the emotions involved. And emotions are basically amplifiers of energy. So when you know an event happens and something resonates, this whole complex of trauma comes together when we have a tra- traumatized perception of self. This whole complex of energy within us is begging to be forgiven, begging to be removed. And there's the whole function and purpose of the process of forgiveness, step by step to move through those layers. So that's what we're here to support you in, and we're delighted that you're here to be part of this conversation. I invite everybody to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.